Hello and welcome to the 22nd episode of the Crystal Clear Watchmaking Podcast. I'm your host, Luke, here with my co-host, Jay. How you doing today, Jay? Uh, not bad. Just trying to survive in this zombie apocalypse environment. <laughs> How about you? Yeah, similar, similar. Now, there's not too much, like, brand watch news going on, to my knowledge. Have you uh, heard of any? Uh, not really. The, the one thing off the top of my head is, uh, uh and, and again, I've mentioned it before, but it, it, the sports world, uh, Tom Brady signed with, um, I don't know if you guys out there follow sports, but Tom Brady's like basically the, he's probably going to go down as one of the best quarterbacks ever. He's just signed with Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but during his, uh, contract signing, which he did at his house, uh, he was wearing a IWC something. And it was that kind of made the watch news, because he was, oh, okay. he was okay, a little bit of celebrity watch news. Yeah, people okay. picked up on that. And what are you wearing today, friend? Well, I'm wearing the one I sent you earlier, that Seiko SNKL twenty three. Oh, okay, that's a nice watch. Uh, yeah, I'm wearing uh, in theme uh, with our show today a Raketa Copernicus or Copernic as uh, nice. as they're sometimes written. So not that big zero one you'd sent me before. Not the big zero, okay. but we're still Russian. This right. one, the um, it's a relatively small watch, uh, very vintage sized, and the the hour hand and minute hand are circles, and then uh, you know about once an hour when they're on top of each other they make an eclipse. So that's it's a bit of a space watch yeah i'm just looking it up now it, it looks pretty cool <laughs> yeah it's a pretty interesting one and um oh that's crazy i actually just serviced it um it's surprising because it's actually the only watch that i've bought from russia where it arrived and it wasn't working really um yeah i mean i've had some that are that were crap um i've had one where it was like kind of working when i got it but it would like stop randomly all the time and then stop working right but this one truly just didn't work from the start and uh just serviced it it's all cleaned up oiled uh working really well and uh the the problem with it was the pin the leaves of the pinion were damaged on this one it's like that's where the gear touches the the pinion's like the little gear on the shaft that's being inter- interlocked with the big gear of another wheel. Okay. And those leaves were damaged, and normally the escape wheel, you move the other wheels, and the escape wheel just spins like crazy. Right. Um, with this watch, uh, you'd like try to push the other gear- gears, and the escape wheel would be like slowly moving around. It's not good. But it's kind of hard to tell uh, how, uh, like, which which gear in the train is causing it. Right. So I actually put the train together one gear at a time until I got to the gear that was introducing friction, which turned out to be the last one. Huh. Yeah, so I- I'm just thinking, if I was in your shoes and I bought that watch and it was busted, I, I wouldn't know what to do because I got it from Russia. It's not like I'm going to be like Amazon, hey, just return this. It's like, I have no clue what <laughs> yeah. to do. Yeah, it was from eBay. Yeah, I mean, it would be really frustrating, I think, 
like yeah if you have no it's it's like buying a car and it's like it's busted and you don't know what to, like you can't go to anybody yeah i mean i'm lucky because i bought a bunch of scrap movements right and uh so i was able to just go and grab a decent escape wheel from another movement and get the thing running and everything but that's just not right. an option uh for the vast majority of purchasers so but yeah. the thing that I love about mine is it's got really unusual hands. Most oh. of the well, you know what? We'll get we'll get into this one actually when we talk about. I've got a little section where we're going to talk about watches that are good collectors' choices. So mm. I'll, I'll I'll go more into that there. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's a great watch. Um, in in other watch news, uh, this is just personal watch news. I also service okay. the Big Zero. Okay. Um, this one was interesting because, you know, they always say on these watches, uh, oh, yeah, serviced by a master watchmaker or whatever yeah. uh, when you buy them. <laughs> and this one is funny because it actually was serviced. Right. Um, so I opened it up, and there was just huge globs of oil everywhere. <laughs> what? Well I, well, I remember <laughs> when you sent it to me, and we both agreed it was very loud. And you had a theory on why that was. Right, right. So the big globs of oil, it just showed me that somebody had been in there, but it was terrible work. Amateurs. And, you know, they might have just oiled a few parts uh, that were giving them trouble without actually, like, taking it all the way apart and cleaning it and stuff. Right. Because the movement still did need a little bit of cleaning. Right. Like, I don't think that the actual plates ever went through a cleaning solution. Right, oh. But it did get some sort of, like, sem semi-service. Um, so he here's the funny thing. It might be slightly quieter now, but it's still extremely loud. So <laughs> I've kind of changed my thought on this because I was thinking about, like, um, minute repeaters and stuff. Yeah. And when they design those, they design them to have like maximum resonance with the gongs of the minute repeater. So your watches actually has acoustic design right. to the case. I'm thinking maybe the big zero case just has naturally un, 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 uh, intentionally a uh, good resonance with the escapement. And that's why it's so loud. So it's just na naturally loud. Yeah. I think it might just be naturally loud because it's properly oiled everywhere. It's, it's, Huh. clean it's it's good to go and yeah. uh it might be five percent less loud but it's, but general, it's still loud it's still very loud yeah well it's just a characteristic of it i guess yeah i think it's kind of cool actually yeah um now there's something that that you do when you when you take apart watches for the first time okay um which is that you are unscrewing bits right and then you've got your watchmaker's tray and it's got a bunch of little uh sections in it right right so you might take off the train wheel bridge and then take all the train wheels and the two two or three screws for the bridge and put those all in one little part of your watchmaker's basket thing right right, right. And you know those all go together right, right. yeah uh and then you take off like the pallet fork bridge, the pallet fork, and the two screws give that its own little spot. You can do this kind of thing, and then it makes it sort of easy to put things back together if there's a bunch of different screw sizes and stuff. 
um, you don't get confused if they were mixed up. Yeah. You know what well, I'm well, I'm sure you got to keep track of such little screws and make sure they go in the exact same spot after it. Yeah, and this becomes really important as watches become more complex. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's something very stupid in um, sort of old school watchmakers. Uh, you know, I feel like there's always got to be, even in something like watchmaking, there's got to be some machismo there's got to be some bragging rights <laughs> of course right? yeah it's it's a male dominated hobby so <laughs> and so i don't know how much this is true these days but historically i'm sure it's still a little a little bit but the way that people would be like oh i'm the best watchmaker is they just put all the pieces in one cleaning thing and then be able to sort it out and put the movement back together right um which you know when you take apart old chronographs and stuff, sometimes you find mistakes. Oh, this is the wrong screw here. <laughs> you know, yeah, especially yeah. with the screws. That's the hard thing. It's hard to put the put the wrong um, the wrong wheel because you know it's gonna not work. <laughs> yeah, right. But the screw could work in two different places and not be the right place. Yeah, yeah, and it's just like causing friction or something like that. Mm-hmm. So. So basically what I'm saying is I've taken apart these uh, Russian movements so many times and they're not that complicated. I'm very comfortable with the whole put all the pieces in one box <laughs> thing. Right, okay. Because <laughs> it's just so easy to sort out. I've just taken them apart, put them back together so many times now, servicing my own watches and just playing around. That's good. So, <laughs> so I'm starting to feel like a, a Russian watch expert, but part of that is just the fact that they didn't make a wide variety of movements. So on the scale, like again, I have you, you, you're the Russian watch expert, but Raketa, like, are they more of the complex watchmakers in Russia, or are there like something much more, like, complicated out there? Ab- there are things that are a little bit more complicated, but what I'd say about Russian watches in general is they're just not complicated. Okay, so they're not like Swiss co- levels of complication. Yeah, because. You know, they were the USSR, and right. they were being very utilitarian. So it's like, for you, they'd say, he's a soft... I mean, if you can imagine the USSR in modern times, they'd say, he's a software developer. We're never giving him a chronograph. Right, Why right. would he need a chronograph? Right. You know what I'm saying? You know, now that we're talking about that whole USSR simplicity, it reminds me of the uh, back in the space race. Um, I, I don't know if you remember this, but... The U.S. had had a. I don't know if this is true or not, but that is what I've heard is that the U.S. was like, "Hey, they use pens, right, to like write things." And then, oh yeah, so they go into space and they're like, "Oh, but this doesn't work because there's a ballpoint pen and 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 the grav the gravity doesn't the ink won't work properly." So what do we do? They design like this crazy pen that like works in space, right? But then the Russians just brought a pencil. (laughs) Yeah, that's what they say. And I don't know here's what I've heard about that in a more complex way. Okay. So the the thing about the pen, as you're saying, it needs gravity for the ink to pull down. Right. Uh, like you couldn't write with a pen on the ceiling for very long because the ball would run out of ink. Right. Um, so what they do is they just uh, air pressurize the ink canister. Right. But which is more complex than what it has to be. if you Than a pen. Yeah. But what I hear is... For places like the International Space Station, you could not use a pencil. Because what? What, hap- yeah, what happens is when you use a pencil, 
is that very small particles of graphite go out into the air. Yeah. And float around. And graphite is like a semiconductor conductor type thing. Really? Yeah, so it's actually a hazard uh, to use uh, pencils. Okay, so so it's it's not that it doesn't write. It's just there's side effects. Yeah. So in modern space travel, you wouldn't use a pencil for this for this reason. Now, back in the day, when we're talking about like these Soviets, um, you know, there was a lot of um, disposable space travel. You know. Right. Right. Everything would be destroyed by the time you came back, and you'd just come back in a little thing that lands in the ocean. Right. And that thing wouldn't be relaunched either. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So. I guess the amount of graphite that you would build up in that period of time would probably be insignificant. But for modern stuff like the space station, you actually are... Supposedly, this is what I hear, is that it would actually be terrible to use a pencil. Well, well, just thinking about it, like, I don't know, like, they might use graphite now, but back then, pencils used lead, right? So that's poisonous. So that was floating around. Yeah, that too. And lead's a metal, so that's a conductor, so... Yeah, I didn't. Th- I didn't realize that. <laughs> but it is a very, it is a sort of a uh, well romanticized way of explaining the difference yes. in how they how they figured out how to do stuff. Their thought processes. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Now, uh, in other watch news, um, just personal watch news. Uh, so I bought that pocket watch, right? Yeah. Right. Um, it showed up. Very beautiful movement. Uh, I mean, really, the nicest decorated movement by leagues that I've worked on. Okay. Um, it was not working, as I said, and I was just hoping that it was just some seized up um, old school oils. Uh, but it was the other thing that pocket watches suffer from, which is a broken balance staff. And that's because old pocket watches, they didn't have shock jewels on the balance. Okay. And the balance staff, you know... Uh, it has like pretty thin pivots and when you have like the wheel and the balance staff and everything that's like a pretty heavy component compared to the train wheels right and so when that slams it's got like way more inertia so it had a broken balance staff um and it had a broken upper pallet fork bridge jewel as well i noticed oh um and that (laughs) That one's kind of weird to me. I'm wondering how that broke because the pallet fork is not heavy, <laughs> you know. Huh. Um, but what I noticed is, I I just had so much fun working with it. Like it was yeah. seriously worth the forty dollars. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's actually really different than a watch, but so similar to a watch in the same way. Right. Um. One of the things that I found that I actually disliked pretty heavily um, was that normally on a watch modern construction, you've got the main plate, right? Right. And then the main plate has little alignment pegs on it. And then the bridges have little holes where if you put the bridge on those pegs, it kind of lines it up automatically where it should be. Uh, And then you screw it in, right? Yeah. But... In a pocket watch, or at least the pocket watch that I have, not a pocket watch expert, but it's the opposite. The bridges have the alignment pegs on them, and the plate has the holes. Oh. So the plate is really basic, and it 
it puts too much uh on you for aligning it i just find it really annoying i kind of hate that the alignment pegs are on the bridges instead of on the main plate so <laughs> so so why do they do that for pocket watches i have no idea huh. there must be a reason Le- you'd think I, I i mean sometimes things just evolve over time maybe that was just the obvious first idea because you yeah. i don't know you drill a lot of holes in the main plate so they're like oh we'll drill the alignment peg holes uh-huh. but i mean now in in pretty much i i've never taken apart a watch that has the alignment pegs on the bridges instead of on the plate right so i'm assuming that this is just worse i, I don't know the other fun thing about it though was that <laughs> i was taking it apart i was like picking up the screws and they just seem gigantic i was like these are honking screws right all the pieces are just like <laughs> massive compared to what i'm used to but that's good in a way that it's easier to work with right oh yeah i mean when we talked about it before i said oh yeah i can i think getting like a pocket watch movement to like learn how to do stuff seems like a good idea yeah um and I believe that even more firmly now. Just just to get the basics, like as you're mentioning, there's differences, but like the, the the general concept is the same. Yeah, and it's kind of amazing how high quality many of the pieces were. Like, so for example, um, you know, there's something on very high quality watches made in Geneva where you can uh, apply to get your movement uh, Geneva sealed. Right kind of like cost certification for timing you can get geneva seals for movement decoration right okay and the the geneva seal um you only find it on some pretty expensive boys but one of the requirements for the geneva seal is that you can't have any wire springs right so wire springs are basically springs in your watch where you take a piece of wire you flatten it and you bend it and you just put it as a component in a thing. It doesn't look all that pretty. Right. A non-wire spring is like a thin sheet of metal that's like cut into the shape of a spring. Typically takes up way more space, Yeah. Uh, by the way. Um, but then you can do all the decoration on the spring. You can put the, the speculaire, the anglage. You can do all <laughs> that on the spring, right? All these French things. Yeah. And so... Uh, and so when I was taking apart this pocket watch, it had all non-wire springs. Hmm. So I, it was actually really fun to, uh, to work with. I was just having a blast. That's awesome. Um, and then I, I have a problem here, but the thing is they're so cheap. <laughs> <laughs> so I bought a working pocket watch from Canada. This is working when it's shipped. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Fifty dollars. So, okay, but it's an Elgin pocket watch. Uh, same brand, but uh, I think this one's got a little bit of a nicer movement, and it's um, I think it's a railroad one, which were made a little bit like higher spec because they didn't want the trains hitting each other. <laughs> Interesting. So did and you get that one off eBay too? That's also eBay. Yep. Okay. So. Last piece of watch news, I swear. That's okay. <laughs> uh, so that Guan Queen watch, it arrived. Oh, oh, the the China one. Yeah, 
It okay. just arrived today. Wow. Like, like Exciting. 30 minutes before we started recording. Um, my first impression is that I kind of love it, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of love it. Um, uh, and I did look up how long coronavirus stays on surfaces. <laughs> okay. And the answer is about two or three days. So I didn't really? import. Yeah, I didn't. Maximum. Maximum. Okay. Uh, but for some surfaces, it's more like uh, eight hours, 24 hours. But maximum time is like three days. So there's no way that I imported any. It was basically. <laughs> well, I, I, I mean, that was one of the first concerns when this whole thing started was that, oh, what if I buy stuff from China? And so they kind of like debunked that chances of it staying on, like unless it's like they flew over here, you know, within a day, the chances were right. small. And I have a feeling mine arrived via ocean. Right. Now. Which is like way past the time anyway. So, um, but still, I have to say, I, I just can't suggest that anyone buys this watch off of Gearbest. <laughs> I mean, you could buy it somewhere else, maybe, but... I don't the know if you can absurd. buy it somewhere else. Like they're probably all from China, and they're probably all eventually coming from the same source. Yeah, I don't know if Gearbest has their own warehouses separate from the people who make it or whatever, because you can also get it a couple other uh, websites. But the shipping was absurd, and the support staff from Gearbest, uh, when I was talking to them, because I talked to them again, shipping yeah. was just ridiculous. They admitted, they they said in the chat that they sold it when it wasn't in stock. Right. And so it was I was waiting for them to actually own it. I mean <laughs> and in in US websites they never do that. They don't sell you something that they don't even own, just assuming that it'll come back in stock. Right, right. Yeah. I, it's, it's like when it's ridiculous. out of stock online, it's out of stock. For the yeah, most part. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So pr- pretty unhappy with that whole bit of it. But now that it's here and you know it wasn't made by Gearbest or anything, so I can't really blame the manufacturer or anything. Right. Uh, but now that it's here, kind of love it. <laughs> kind of. Oh, and one more thing right. that I wanted to talk about. Somebody, this topic is just a topic that keeps on giving. Okay. Okay, I, I uh, think I know what it is. Go. What is it? What is it? I. I it's the uh, the 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 YouTube guy. It's is not it? the YouTube guy. Okay, it's not the YouTube guy. Watch Finder or whatever. No, no, it's, it's not, blued okay. screws. Blued okay, screws blued are coming screws. back. Okay. We're going to talk about this again. <laughs> so we talked about getting the, like, silver marking in it, you know? Right, right, right. Down the center. So we had uh, a listener chime in, and he said, another manufacturing process that can leave the the slit in the center of the screw unblued is sometimes they'll plate the screws like i don't know if it's like nickel plate we actually didn't talk about what it was but they'll plate the screws and then they'll polish them when you polish them you remove the plating wherever you polish so they polish the top but the plating's still in the in the groove and then when you heat blue it the plating isn't affected so that's just sounds isn't plating essentially just painting it well i mean it's like putting something on the surface of it right plating is plating is electro plating so it's not really the same as painting okay the, it's like a chemical reaction okay but it's only on the surface you're not bluing the whole thing right you're not it's through you're not bluing well it. this isn't this isn't the blue so you're plating it in something that's silvery okay? oh okay okay and then you're polishing and then oh, it still looks silvery but then when oh, you go I to see. blue it 
all this all the plating is still left in the center and so the top of the screw blues and the plating in the center doesn't i see i see um but it's kind of strange i don't know why you'd be plating the screws i'm not a manufacturer but my understanding is they're already made out of steel i'm not sure if they're plating them so they're because they're not made out of stainless steel they're made out of carbide steel usually is my understanding and so they could rust so maybe they're like plating them in nickel for rust resistance or something and then yeah well that's usually why you plate stuff right for to like to, to, to like make it stronger or resi- resistant to other things that and uh decoration yeah. yeah yeah so so the blued screws are just a just a topic that keeps on giving <laughs> <laughs> yeah but, so what was our initial our initial theory was that if it's not fully blued it's like just been painted and it's not good but now we know there's a couple other methods that nothing... there are a couple of methods that people could be doing yeah that would cause a heat blued screw to still have right. silver in the center right okay so the one that we just discussed and then also heat bluing and then cutting the channel for the screwdriver afterwards right right um but generally those are the exceptions still. See, yeah and i and, and i think the exceptions like i don't know but i think the exceptions are just for a small percent like i think you could still rely on the fact that if it's not if it's like not fully blued then it's chances are it's fake i i, I would guess yeah i mean like like i think we've ex- got wonderful listeners giving us these exceptions though but yeah. the thing is you just i feel like you just you need to see real next to fake once <laughs> and then you'll be able to even spot the exceptions yeah. because yeah. it's just so obvious right when you've seen them that's true now speaking of listeners we've got awesome listeners and this is the reason why you should contact us, okay? Um, because we're literally doing this episode. Somebody sent me uh, a little bit of what they would like to have uh, on the show. And boom, we're doing one of them. So they wanted uh, me to talk about Russian watches because I had a little bit of um, little bit of knowledge about it. And so today we're going to talk about Raketa. We're not going to talk about all Soviet watches because I just feel like that's not possible. Okay. <laughs> you know, I, so I figured we'd do one brand at a time. I'm kind of surprised we didn't even think of this topic ourselves, you know, without... Yeah. Because it's like we talk about the Russian watches all the time. Yeah. So so uh, they asked they asked us to talk about it, so we will, nice and easy. And we've done this before. And I would say, I mean, as we get more listeners and people start... Um, communicating more eventually the lag time between suggestion and actually covering it will increase but right Right. now people are like whenever somebody's like oh you should talk about x topic like if it's yeah i think we've just done all of them the next week yeah we're still small so it's like (laughs) we we don't have like a huge volume of things so we're just gonna pick the first thing that comes up yeah if you want to hear about something just suggest it on our like instagram (laughs) get dm us and yeah. boom next week probably gonna be the topic yeah um so let's get on to the topic so we're gonna talk about raketa ussr um brand so it it kind of got its roots um before the ussr um because Tsar uh peter the great okay so this is time of the czars before the like uh revolution right 
he uh, did a decree, 1721, and he made the uh, Petrodivrits. Petro I, I don't <laughs> Guys, just, I'm not Russian. Just, ex <laughs> just explain what it is. <laughs> um, but it's the lapidary works. So lapidary, like... When you think of like lapping, that's like um, a finishing technique, right? Right. Um, and that was in uh, Peterhof St. Petersburg. And for a couple centuries, this had nothing to do with um, with watches, but you can you can imagine why it became a place for watches because they were find precious stones there. Right. Okay? Yeah. And uh, you know, jewel counts are a thing in watches. So you can see how that kind of leads in. Um, so now we jump over 200 years later, <laughs> <laughs> and it's called the First State Precision Jewel Factory. Okay. Okay. Um, but now it's making uh, precision jewels for Soviet industry. Okay. Right. Which, which I'd imagine is pretty humming at, at this point. Yeah. I mean, I would say, you know, the big communist re regimes are always at their strongest at the start. Yeah. Yeah, which is probably because they're at their closest point in time from being capitalist. <laughs> yeah, and, well, and they're and they're ramping up like uh, you know industries and stuff. Yeah, and mistakes from centralized planning haven't compounded yet. Yeah, and they want to so put everybody the, to work. And yeah, so in 1935, it actually made ruby jewels for the Soviet watch industry. Okay. So if you've got some old, old, uh, old uh, Soviet watches that are not Raketa, they could still have jewels made from this original factory. And um, so there's already in, an industry at this point, is what I'm gathering. Yeah, at this point there's already an industry, but there isn't Raketa. Okay. But Soviet watches are being made. Okay. <clears throat> so in 1940. The uh, factory becomes the sole supplier of rubies to the first state watch factory. Um, and then during World War II, the factory just gets leveled. <laughs> so, Unsurprisingly. Yeah. Um, it was a rough time, of course, uh, for people who don't know the World War II. Basically, the Russian strategy when uh, Germany started attacking them. Uh, and Germany only attacked them because... Uh, Hitler was uh, kind of um, power hungry. It wasn't just it wasn't raw power hunger. It was it was um, he wanted to do something that someone famous in the past had uh, had attempted to do, but do it himself. So it was more like narcissism. Yeah, ego. Um, um, it was ego. Yeah, and uh, so I think was... it was Alexander the Great attacked uh, Russia no, or no, something. No, no, no. It was it was the French guy Napoleon. Napoleon. It, it was Napoleon, right? I'm not a history guy, but I'm, one of these I think old famous dudes um, attacked Russia during the winter, okay? And uh, that was stupid. And then <laughs> um, many years later, Hitler says to himself, oh, well, we've got the technology. We're going to attack Russia during the winter. Didn't go well. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, you could. Th the argument is that if he didn't do that and he just kind of just stayed neutral with Russia, he would have like won the West. Cause, cause he yeah, just, he, he, he may have won all of World War II yeah. if he just didn't attack Russia. Exactly, yeah, because because yeah. he spread the resources too thin. He spread the resources thin, and it was a brutal campaign. Um, 
basically what Russia did is they just burned everything as the Nazis approached. Yeah. So, like, a way that armies feed themselves is by conquering. So, you know, you conquer the place. Yeah, and then you, you get the village. You and kill then... people, and then you take their food, yeah, blah, yeah. blah, blah. But you can't do that if they're just, like, burning all <laughs> yeah. the fields and all the towns as you approach. So, um, it was... So, I, I don't know. Like, it could even be that uh, during World War II, the factory was destroyed by the Russians. Yeah, yeah. As... Could be. <laughs> As they came forward, but the other but thing that's all was, speculation. I don't actually know that. Yeah, and the other thing was that uh, once again, like as in history, they, they underestimated winter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm, Russian winter ain't no joke. Yeah, it's yeah. Like the oil in their drums was like <laughs> almost becoming solid. Yeah. You know, for like their tanks and stuff. Yeah. Um, but after the war, uh, the factory uh rebuilds. And uh, in 1949, it's working on wristwatches. Interesting. And but but who owns the factory? Like the state? Just yes. To... Okay. Still the state. Yeah. So, what we're noticing here is that it switches before from before the war to after the war. It goes from being just a jewel manufacturer to now it's making the watches after the war. Right. And um, so in 1954. Uh, the government renames it to the Petrodovoritz Watch Factory, and this is the name that it originally had. Um, you'll remember it was renamed to the First State Precision Jewel Factory, but before that, the Tsar had called it the Petrodovoritz uh, Lapidary Works. Right. So it's actually kind of strange that they changed it back because the Soviet Union changed the name back to something that was connected to the czars, which yeah. is weird. Yeah, because they wanted know? to, like, basically cut off everything related to the czars after the revolution. Yeah, so it's very strange to me, uh, just from an outside way of thinking of it, that they would rename it <laughs> back to its original name. Um, they probably didn't have a better name, to be honest. They I just, guess. Just, just, just let's reopen it. Um, so... They started making uh, pocket and wrist watches for men, and um, here, here's here's where it gets weird. Is that when you think about the Soviet state, um, everything's owned by them. Right. So the idea of different brands is kind of strange, almost in the same way that the idea of different brands within like Swatch is kind of strange. Right. Um, you know, there's just different levels of swatch that you get different names for yeah um that is an extremely hot take by the way that i apologize <laughs> for making already but <laughs> um so there's a whole bunch of different names uh of brands quote unquote that had these uh that had these um movements in them yeah. so Baltica, Leningrad, Mayak, Neva, Russia. There's there's a simple one. Um, <laughs> can't, can't forget where that one's from. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then here's where it becomes Raketa, okay? And it's due to the space race. Wait, it becomes Raketa? So something became Raketa? Yeah, so uh, okay. that, that Petrodevoritz uh, factory that's okay. making this like slew of different named brands... Right. Everything comes under the name Raketa in 1962. Okay, okay. 
And the reason why is because Raketa means rocket. Ah. <laughs> and they were very proud of sending their sending the first boy to space, you know. Right. So so they renamed it Rocket and um things things kind of take off. Um by take off I mean like they're making like Rolex numbers of 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 uh, watches. Mm-hmm. Um, so, at the most amount of watches that they ever made per year, they made. Give me a guess. At like, since like at up until that point, at, like or... for the whole history of the company. Now okay. it's like almost non-existent. So okay, most amount of watches per year made during time of USSR before CNC machining. Uh, what number are you given that? Seventy thousand. Four point five million. Wow. Per year. <laughs> okay. So these are all I, handmade watches. Well, they're not handmade in the sense that people aren't like cutting uh like train bridges right. out of with jeweler saws or anything like that. But it still is like before CNC machining, so it's like yeah, a lot of it's, manual. It's assembly line, but that is crazy high numbers. Yeah, um, that's crazy. But there must have been demand for it if they're making that many. Well, there is no demand in the Soviet economy. <laughs> you just make it in. No, but, and, uh, but but they got to know that if you're making that many and it's wasteful, then you wouldn't be able to make it that many. Right. Well, no, that's not always true. Sometimes they would overproduce things as well. <laughs> but, I mean, that's the thing about central planning. It's, it makes things a bit of a mess. But... They also exported watches and stuff, um, okay. so that helped. Uh, that helped with that. So um, they do actually pretty good. So we talked about kind of their insane numbers, right? Um, and uh, so they did some things that I guess are worth mentioning. So like in 1965, they get a gold medal at a trade fair for the ultra thin caliber 2209. Um, the thinnest three-handed movement ever produced in the USSR is is what I'm reading here. Wow. I mean, but how many movements are made in the USSR? I don't know. That's yeah. probably a pretty low bar. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty bad comparison. You're gonna. Yeah, I mean, if it was like you know, I I need to see some comparison to other places. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> and then their their rocket boy that they were so proud of, um, that caused this renaming, by the way was uh yuri gagarin um famous yes famous um and so and he actually rode in the rocket vostok one now you'll realize vostok is also the name of a soviet watch company so you can see the space race really changed the face of a face of watchmaking in in uh, the ussr (laughs) uh i think i just said three s's there but um interestingly the West kind of didn't like uh, Raketa watches to some extent because Raketa means rocket. And there were like ICBMs that had the name yeah. Raketa first. And so it's not like a great brand name. Well, it, well, also not to mention that little thing called the Cold War where basically the countries were at each other's throats. Yeah, exactly. So let's talk about this like peak time where they're making 4.5 million watches okay. a year and when was that that is like 60s and 70s okay so um, like in the midst of the cold war yeah yeah um 
they had 8,000 employees. Um, and it's kind of like, um, like Etta. Etta, all the, like, people that live there, uh, around that, uh, manufacturing area, tons of the, um, like, living spaces are owned by Swatch and, uh, used by the workers and, um, it's, you know, very integrated. You know, it's kind of like a mining town where everything is about all the miners. You right. know what I'm saying? And yeah. that's sort of what the Raketa Watch Factory was like. Um, all the area around it was sort of a watch-centered. Um, so here, here's... <laughs> Apparently they cared about their watch industry because they actually had a nuclear bunker that was built under the factory... That could contain all 8,000 workers. Wow, that's huge. <laughs> yeah. Like, I kind of want to go there and go to the bunker. You know what that reminds me of? is uh, I took a tour of Beijing once, and they had basically an underground city in Beijing, like, f- to house the entire city in, in case, like, Japan uh, invaded and got to Beijing. Everyone could go underground in the city, and they had, like, movie theaters, restaurants, hospitals, all underground wow that's pretty cool so i'm not surprised that russia had stuff like that too and that is one of the things that you can do when you have like a centralized economy like that the government can just say it will be done yeah and then you know who's gonna argue there's no like (laughs) yeah you don't have reason that it wouldn't happen yeah but then okay so riketa so what kind of watches were they making okay so i think that's a good question to uh to answer so starting in about the 1950s uh, i'm reading here they had manufactured watches for the interior ministry so basically like government people railways red army soviet navy air force um cool one north pole expeditions ah. um and civilians now i could tell you civilian models were what they mostly made okay interesting <laughs> But but the thing in like the Soviet Union is communist or not whatever like centrally planned. How yeah. how does like consumerism for watches work? Like you just 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 like they're just distributed. Okay, so you just get them. It's like a okay. you just get them. Okay. Um, I I actually talked to a guy who lived during the Soviet Union and uh, talked a lot about this sort of thing. Like way when of the life Soviet and Union. Stuff like that. What? Like the way of life. And... Yeah, the way of life and stuff. He said when the Soviet Union ended, um, he was a somewhat young man, and he saw at the grocery store ice cream. Uh-huh. And he bought so much ice cream at the grocery <laughs> store that he was just, like, totally sick from eating so much ice cream. But it was one of those items where it's an expensive luxury item, it needs to be refrigerated. It's hard to make sure that everyone gets some and stuff. So ice cream was just pretty much almost non-existent uh, oh. when I was growing up. Um, Interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, a lot of people probably just had ice cream for the first time after the fall of the Soviet Union. Yeah, based on this guy's personal account, and I could tell you there's still some strange uh, leftovers of the USSR. Um, when I was in Russia... Uh, I think it was St. Petersburg, but don't quote me. Um, but they had uh, centralized water heating. So here, 
you know, your house has its own water heater. Even yeah. in an apartment building, you might have your own little water heater yeah. for your apartment building. Yeah, yeah. There, the state centrally heated the water and then pumped it into all the buildings in the city. It, that, that sounds to me like it's less efficient because... It is less efficient, actually. Because the water's going to lose heat, heat by the time it gets yeah. to you. <laughs> yeah, even though they're well insulated and whatever, comparing that to being on the spot, it actually was less efficient, but it was thought that it would be more efficient, kind yeah, yeah. of in the way that you don't have an electric plant in your house because yeah. electric plants you know, can make it at such a such a good rate compared to if you had your own generator, for example. Yeah, and it goes kind of with the thinking of centrally planned. It's like central water heater. Makes sense. Yeah, everyone gets hot water. Yeah, you know? it's the same hot water. You get the same hot water as the other guy. You can't have a better water heater than the other guy. <laughs> yeah, so it's actually pretty interesting how the like thought process really permeated the society. Um, but they did big exporting, as right. we were saying. Um, but not with the U.S., of course. Not so much with the U.S., but it actually got throughout Europe and stuff. Yeah, for sure, yeah. So we talked about their heyday. Uh, let's talk about now. Okay. Um, so after the fall, a lot of things just completely collapsed, okay? Um, Raketa was reorganized a few times. Uh, cut production nowhere near. Uh, it's 4.5 million. Um, so, so the thing I'm curious about, and maybe you'll be getting to this, but it, if it, it was state owned up until this point, right? So some, someone has to own it now. Yeah. Yep. That is, okay. that is the case. Okay. Um, and I'm not sure who, who owns it at the moment. Okay. Um, but, uh, in, in the early two thousands, uh, it was unclear if it would even continue, you know? Yeah. Um, but Today, there's only two Russian watch manufacturers that are still working. One is Raketa. The mm-hmm. other is Vostok, actually. Yeah, I think, and I think Vostok, for, like before we started talking about Raketa, I think Vostok's the more popular one. No? I mean, I don't know the numbers, but between the two, for the modern production, I yeah. much prefer Vostok. Okay. Vostok kind of leans into their history. Raketa makes some ugly ass <laughs> crap watches these days. But I mean, to, they're just not nice. But the funny thing is, you seem to be like more into Raketa than Vostok. Like you definitely talk about Raketa more. Yeah, definitely, hundred okay. uh, percent. I love uh, USSR era Raketa. Okay. <laughs> now, even though I just massively trash talked um, their models these days. Sort of what they're doing is still pretty cool. Um, so they've got their own watchmaking school. The wow. uh, Petro Dvoritz Watchmaking School. Um, and, you know, people always talk about in-house movements. Right. <laughs> well, these guys make everything, man. Yeah. You know, they're making the balance springs. They're making the main springs. All the stuff that other companies, they always say, like, Oh, we build like 95% of our in-house movement and we get balanced springs from this one company. You right. know what I'm saying? Yeah. These guys, they literally make everything. And for like a, a literal in-house movement, it's amazing how people in the West just don't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, yes, totally in-house. If you were like, 
if you were like um i don't know pretty much any swiss company you could like put that on there and people would ooh and awe about it but you know they do their in-house and just nobody cares it's kind of funny too because on their modern website they mention that they're in-house like multiple times like hey guys it's it's in-house yeah (laughs) pay attention (laughs) just nobody cares (laughs) it's kind of strange but today they don't really make anything too good and they're insanely overpriced right so let's let's talk about some of their like old versus new stuff okay yeah so new stuff garbage um <laughs> you could buy some boss socks that are new that are pretty cool that's like the one word review <laughs> new <laughs> stuff garbage yeah now funnily <laughs> enough though um the 2609 movement okay this movement started off like at the very beginning uh of them they're making the 2609 okay right right. now how they got to the number 2609 is a mystery to me because it seemed like it that's where they started so i don't know like random number generator yeah but that movement had um a triangular train bridge on it um and then after a period of time and i don't know when they phased it out exactly they switched to the 2609 ha and that one has a bridge that goes all the way across right um which is what a bridge actually is technically it was a a train wheel cock before okay so cocks are only uh screwed in on one side kind of like yeah. a balance cock it's screwed in on one side and it comes towards the center um and a bridge goes across uh whatever it's uh holding down um so that was the main change in architecture there. And the 2609HA, I'm telling you, if you open the back of a Raketa, it that is what is in there. Right. <laughs> it doesn't matter if it's a calendar, if it's a perpetual calendar, if it's a 24-hour. Like, literally doesn't matter. The back looks exactly the same. They added some different um, components to the front, like right. putting a calendar mechanism on the front, stuff like that. Uh-huh. But... I mean, they've been making the same movement this whole time. <laughs> well, it must be good. I mean, it's reliable. If it works, like, why change it? Yeah, I mean, they know how to make one thing, and they continue to make that one thing. That's <laughs> what I'd say. So, um, the movement is uh, in in the vintage. I don't know about today uh, how they how they make it, even though it is the same as my right. understanding. But the way that they used to make it is they okay so when you have tolerances when you're when you're building watch parts if you have things too tight then the wheel won't turn right um and that's called end shake and watchmaking so if your end shake is zero then your thing will turn uh but it can't move up or down but really you never get true zero really um it tends to just be squeezed and then things don't move. So right. what what Raketa did making watches, I don't know about their modern watches, honestly. I have never taken apart one because they're way too expensive and they don't look <laughs> good and they're garbage, as I said. <laughs> yeah. um, but under the balance cock, there's a thin sheet of brass. Okay? Yeah. Now, just sort of reverse engineering what's happening here. 
So I've talked to uh, Watchmaker before about this this thin sheet of brass uh, guy that I respect a lot. He said that means that the movement has very low quality. <laughs> surprise, <laughs> that, that, surprise. Yeah, that thin sheet of brass is basically his flagpole that this thing is garbage, in his opinion. Um, but it's in everything that they make and everything that they ever made. So what they would do is is they would just make it so that the balance cock, um, they knew that it would not have enough end shake for the balance. And then they'd just have thin sheets of brass at different uh, heights of a hundredth of a, of a millimeter. So maybe there'd be like a sheet that's like two hundredths of a millimeter, one that's three hundredths of a millimeter. And then they'd sneak those under there to get the correct uh, end shake without actually having to machine the piece the correct size in the first place. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's all in-house, and and it's very cheap. Okay, if you're buying the vintage pieces on eBay, almost everything's under $100. A few pieces are over, but not really too much. Right, okay? right. Um, so it's a very uh, soft market to enter. Um, and in my opinion, you're not buying it because it's like, the highest end horology engineering <laughs> blah 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 i think it's more like it's more like as a historical marker you know right it's just kind of interesting that it's made in the ussr and everything uh back in the day so i feel like something that people might want to hear about is what watches they should collect if they're interested are interesting raketa watches yeah um so let's talk about those first so yeah. the first thing is, is that if you see one that's gold, I just want to say, they didn't make anything out of solid gold. Okay. To my knowledge. Uh, because that is Western extravagance. <laughs> okay. And they were anti-West, so, as we all know. Yeah. Yeah. So if you see one that's gold-colored, um, it's probably plated. Okay. And it could even be plated by some guy in modern times that's trying to, you know, fancy something up for eBay. Right. <laughs> I mean, you just don't know. It's a total, it's total weirdness with some of these. Yeah. Um, just it's not authentic, is what you say. Yeah, but there, there were gold plated. My big zeros gold plated, and that that's a real thing that they did. Okay. Um, but gold plating, even they didn't like doing until closer to the end of the Soviet Union. Um, so we've talked about the big zero. It's awesome. Right. I can suggest the big zero. Um, and what I'd want to say, actually, I'm just going to take a small step back. I'm going to put a link, the very first link in the show notes. Okay. There's this guy out there. I don't know his deal, but he just collected. I want to say he's in the thousands of Russian watches in good condition. Wow. Okay. And he made his own website, and it, it the link does not look like a link that necessarily is trustworthy. <laughs> you know, it just gives off weird vibes. Yeah. But it is trustworthy, and he has this whole collection on his own, like, private website. Um, and the fantastic thing about this is not only can you see what we're talking about, although I'd like to describe what, what they look like, but... Um, not only can you see it yourself, but it'll stop you uh, from making mistakes when you're buying on eBay. So 
you look at the hands, then you compare to the eBay. Did they change the hands? No? <laughs> good. Okay. Look at the crown. Did they change the crown? No? Good. Okay. Is the case the same? Oh, good. You know, you know, so you can double check that you're not getting like a bit of a Franken watch right. um, when you're buying because this guy's just got pictures of like almost everything. Um, now, I will proudly say that I have a watch that he doesn't have. <laughs> <laughs> Which so, one's that? It's the second watch on the list. So first, we're going to talk about the Big Zero for a second. So we've talked about this before. You did a little bit of a review on our watch cheating episode. I liked it. Um, Yeah, pad printed dial, really massive indices, um, hands that are a little undersized, but it's just part of the Big Zero. It's part of its uh, signature. Really interesting watch. Um, 39 millimeters looks big and modern because the dial is just so much of the of the watch wouldn't you say yeah um and it's awesome Uh, yeah the thing i would say about it is that it's simplistic yet it's so elegant it's like perfect size the the it's like it's like just it's very soviet you know if that's what you're going for yeah and um my tip for buying the big zero, which I mentioned in that previous episode is um, sometimes the big zero is like the big, one of the big watches that people buy on eBay or are interested in. So this is also one of the ones that if you get a good looking one could creep up past a hundred dollars pretty quickly. Right. Um, but when you look at the dial, uh, some people are making fake like dials for the big zeros and in fact, it was probably originally a big zero, and then they just said, "Oh, that dial doesn't look good enough for me. I'm gonna like re-laser print the <laughs> dial or whatever." And um, so you want to see that pad printing, that glo- those glossy numbers. Right. Um, but it can be hard because the light has to be hitting it just right to get that effect. So someone can be selling you a real one that's good to go, and uh, it's just not hitting the light right enough to give you that confirmation. But yeah, that's that's my tip. That's how you really know that the dial's good. The second one is the... Sometimes they call it Copernic. Sometimes they call it Copernicus. I just think that's maybe how Russians use the... Like, Copernic is Copernicus. Right, it's how like, Russians say. it's interchangeable. Yeah. Um, and be actually, one moment before I do this, uh, there's two types of dials, okay? And this yeah. kind of changes how collectible they are now anything is collectible if you want it you know if you want to buy it who cares what other people think you know what i'm saying right but you'll find dials that are in english or you'll find dials that are in cyrillic aka russian letters and the cyrillic ones will have cccp on them which is ussr and cyrillic right and and um basically those Russian ones are considered more collectible because they're basically produced and distributed to citizens in the USSR. Right. Whereas the ones that were done in English, some of them actually never left the USSR, but they were designed for export. Ah. So if you want something that feels more Russian, you get the Cyrillic dial. Right. And all of the ones that I purchased were with Cyrillic dials, because I am elitist. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, the uh, Copernicus it has actually a couple different handsets and a couple different dials. So, 
my personal favorite dial for this one is black dial gold colored indices okay yeah but they actually also made a gray dial one uh with a gray case and gold uh maybe silver colored indices i don't remember on that one i think that one's way uglier okay yeah and then they actually made a women's version of the watch interesting um which instead of having the copernicus circles lining up um they printed a butterfly on the big on the hour disc and butterflies i used to know but butterflies uh have some sort of feminine um uh connotation connotation in russia uh folklore yeah i mean you could kind of see the same here it's kind of north america too like tattoos usually women yeah like just just like girls like butterflies quote unquote yeah but there's there's some like folk story or symbolism that's beyond just them being pretty uh, (laughs) for russians um and those are the two handsets that you'll see the most now you'll see like 95 percent of them have the handset that is uh that's the simple um copernicus eclipse and that's still what people want okay yeah and then there's a small amount that has the butterflies those are more rare but women's watches even if they're more rare don't necessarily have that high of a price right and then the other type of handset is it looks like old school um old school like astronomical drawings with just like circles and and uh and like orbit patterns in the hands the hands are like 10 times more elaborate it's actually insane how much more elaborate they are (laughs) and those are the rarest by a a large margin yeah which is understandable now the guy that i'm talking about with his uh raketa collection and you know like thousands thousands of of watches yeah. yeah he's got one of those okay um with the hands in black but i've got the hands in silver on a black dial wow Whoo! i've got something he doesn't have (laughs) so proud of myself um (laughs) but um i'll actually paste the link into you right now so so i also noticed as you're doing that that the the case back is only like partially exhibition right on the on the Copernicus, so all of the vintage ones, yeah, all of the vintage ones have no exhibition case back. Okay, they have made some extremely ugly new Copernicus. Um, That's probably the one I was times. looking up because I just googled it. Right. Yeah. So that that one's a modern one. <laughs> those are um, the quote unquote garbage ones. <laughs> those are the garbage <laughs> ones. <laughs> so here, I'm sending you an image here. This is the unusual handset this is the one you have or the oh this is the black handset okay the black handset. yeah so mine is black dial with silver hands you know looking at this picture i can see where they took like it's there's some similarities with big zero especially the case and the crown i i think it just has like a russian vibe if that makes sense (laughs) like obviously the face and the dial and all the hands are completely different but yeah, like, it's somehow different, but you can just feel the Russianness coming out at you. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, oh, and there's white dial Copernicus, uh, I should 
I should say. But the black dials are pretty much the main ones that people go for. Um, White with this face seems to would be hard to read, it would seem like to me. Um, <clears throat> Unless the face is like black or something. One of the white ones. The white ones, I think, are actually maybe the most legible ones because they actually pad printed numbers <laughs> oh okay <laughs> instead of just having dot indices yeah i'll i'll uh, i'll send you a link to that as well um so the copernici there's a few different types um personally i rank them as number one my crazy handset which i don't even know how to explain exactly what this is right <laughs> i'll include a link in the show notes oh i like this one it's, it's you like the white dial yeah it's it's simpler it, like it it doesn't look as like 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 fancy you know yeah the and so i'd say my favorites for collectability are crazy handset then black dial then white dial then gray dial and then for the butterfly ones just put those in wherever you want those are kind of right i i don't really have a ranking for them <laughs> um but these could make great couples watches. Oh, you know, for sure, people, yeah. You know, you get the ladies watch and uh, one of the men's Copernici. But what I'd have to say is the big zero, 39 millimeters, the Copernic, it's small. Well, that's, so, that's I like that size because I have a small wrist. But Yeah, so this one, if you're like, a, if you're over seven inch wrist, it looks tiny. It looks kind of small <laughs> on my on my seven inch wrist but i still i just like vintage stuff so i wear it anyway right yeah you know what's interesting about this white dial one is the band looks very unique it's got like if you look at the top it's almost oh, thank got, like... you so much for mentioning that because that is uh an important thing that i wanted to mention which is that on russian watches none of the bands are original oh uh, okay and the reason why is because none of the bands um came with the watches You'd buy the watch head, and then you'd buy the band. That's interesting, because that's not really common anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah, it's the one thing Russia was, like, way awesome on. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes sense, because, like, you could choose what you want for your band. Like, why didn't they have to choose? Yeah. So, the next one that I kind of suggest that I think is awesome, and basically, there's tons of Raketa watches, but the ones that are awesome that are agreed upon as awesome have nicknames like okay. the big zero it was never sold as the big zero but now it's known as the big zero interesting yeah um the popular stuff like pepsi and like yeah. all that stuff but the yeah. but most of them have no nicknames they're just random watches so here i'll send you another link so this one is the raketa atom and if you remember oh, back in cool. the day yeah for old old people we remember these like drawings of like atoms with orbitals yes and that's yes. what this that's what this dial has basically from the center and then it's very unusual because most watches have um 12 3 6 and 9 are the indices this one is 12 4 and 8 that's cool so, yeah so there's three main ones and i totally agree with you it is cool. <laughs> you know, it, the Raketa Adam is cool. Just looking at it, it almost plays like a, like a trick with your eyes that it's like a like a like a curved, um, uh, like a crystal. You know, it, it almost looks like it's like round. 
Oh, I think that it is. Oh, it is. Okay. Cause yeah, 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 yeah. It's not a flat crystal. Okay. And the dial itself is also curved. Okay. I promise. Um, and this, so for those, uh, watching at home, we, we try to describe, it's got like the orbitals coming out from the center. It's got the indices. Um, it's got brushed, uh, it's got radial brushing, um, from the center. So it's like sunburst, uh, brush. And, um, it's basically a dress watch when all is said and done, but it is pretty cool. Um, it's lower in people's knowledge, you know, uh, right. the, I, the idea that you will walk around with a Raketa Adam and anyone in your entire lifetime <laughs> will recognize it is very low. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, within collecting circles, it does have a nickname and it is really cool. It also has the thing we like where it's got like very minimal writing on the dial. Yes. You know, yes. it's like very simple. Very, and that's just very clean. Yeah, that's pretty true for Raketa across the board, which might be one of the reasons why, why I kind of like it uh, yeah. in its vintage-ness. Yeah. So, next one, the Raketa World Time. So, this is basically one of those World Time bezels on a regular watch. So, you can just, like, rotate the bezel from where you are to where uh, the time that you're referencing is to figure out what the time is in a different city. Um, okay. I put it on because it's got a recognizable uh, nickname and stuff. It can be kind of hard to find them in good condition. It's hard to find everything here in good condition, frankly. Right, right. I mean, even the pictures are sending me. There's, like, little, like little defects on them. Like, it's, like, ding. Yeah, and this guy's got a good collection. Yeah. <laughs> so you can imagine um, some of the, like, literal hunks of junk that are online. I'll send you a picture of the world time there to check out. The thing that's tough about the world time is that all of the, if you have an awesome one, all of the uh, cities are written in Russian. <laughs> oh, so, so, so they made them where it's like in English? I, you know, this guy doesn't have any in, in his collection, but I think there were a few made with English cities. Uh, don't quote me on it, but that's what I want to say. Right. And it's basically just another of the same watch movement well this one's actually a little bit different because they give it a different number for having the uh the day date on it right which is pretty cool but when you open the back the architecture of like barrel train bridge escapement is exactly the same okay um and then you know you just got a calendar works on the front very unique this one this one really stands out because that bezel's like a pretty thick boy but then so it's at, this is actually a relatively large watch but like literally all of these watches have an eight millimeter um lug size 18 right. millimeter lug size so even though this would probably in modern day be like a 20 millimeter at least these ones have like relatively thin straps considering yeah. how large the watch head is yeah it makes the it makes the face look huge like the like the dial yeah, and if you just want the maximum amount of Cyrillic for maximum Russianness, this, this is, is probably it. the choice. <laughs> this is probably the choice. Uh, you know what's interesting <laughs> is the indices. You you could see the one they're like the odd numbers, and then there's like the gold part is on the even numbers. Yeah, the other thing about the indices is they are so chunky. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> These world times 
there's several different versions of the world times, but all of them have extremely chunky, chunky boy uh, <laughs> indices. I wonder if this was like their pilot's watch, which is like they have like, you know, like it's legible and you'd be going around. I don't places. know who who would get this one, honestly. Yeah. Because they had like chronographs for like fighter pilots and stuff. Right. But Raketa didn't make them. Okay. Um, yeah, I actually don't know the answer to that question. Yeah, like who, I wonder because I would think the Soviets everything's built for a purpose, right? So if you're civilian, like you were saying, the civilian watches, military watches. But I wonder, like, if there was a if they had someone in mind to for this particular watch. Yeah. Yeah. I, I am not exactly sure on that. Now, the next one is pretty sweet, okay? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to give this one a 9 out of 10 sweetness level. So I'll send it to you here. This one's called um, the Raketa Antarctica. Okay, so before I click it, I've, so far the best one I've seen is the Atom. So let's see if this one The Atom is pretty cool. Oh, uh, yeah, this one's, this one's good. I still like the Atom better. So nice. the difference here is they have a different gear ratio uh, on the front of the dial to move the uh, hour wheel. So this one is a 24-hour uh, watch right. face. Right. And the reason why is because when you're in the North Pole or Antarctica, whatever, if you're on the poles of the Earth, you know, it's like day all yeah. day. Yeah, you or can't like tell. night yeah. all day. Personally, I don't mind 24-hour time. It makes a lot more sense. It does make a lot of sense. So this one is is pretty cool. This is the ones for those uh, expeditions and also to celebrate those expeditions. Um, the case is pretty darn unique. It's like a strange variation on a cushion case. And yeah, I mean, this one's just a little bit of history going on here. But it's gold, right? I thought you said they don't make gold-plated. Gold. Oh, it's gold-plated. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's also interesting because there's no raketa on the dial. There's just too much going on yeah, in the dial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what does it say in Russian there? Dial. What? What does it say, that red writing, do you know, in the Russian? I have no idea. I think the middle word is Antarctica. Yeah, I think that's so too. <laughs> but it's all it's really... <laughs> but, um, but it's basically every other indice is a number, and then the ones in between those are uh, stick indices. Um, and then there's a big drawing of Antarctica in the center. Now, there are some that are 24 hours that don't have a picture of Antarctica in the center, and that's up to you which <laughs> one you, you prefer. Um, they did make a few different 24-hour uh, ones. Interesting. So you could find it by either looking up Raketa 24-hour or Raketa Antarctica if you're on the eBay. I like this one, too, but yeah, I, I don't know. Just the, Yeah, you're right. This one and the Atom so far are the best. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So this one is secretly uh, maybe my favorite. And I don't think I've ever shared with you this watch. Um, so I'm going to send it to you now. Okay. So this is the Raketa Perpetual Calendar. <gasps> okay, but well, I can see why it's your favorite because you do like the Perpetual Calendars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this one's, this one's good too. So here's the funny thing about this one. So this one... The bezel is tiny on this. Yeah, it's not a perpetual calendar. Okay. <laughs> I, thought you, I thought you said it was. Yeah, and that's the nickname. That's what it's oh. supposed to be. So this one is really strange. I'm going to try to try to uh, describe it for everybody. So 
first of all, if you don't like the vintage sizing, this is another one like the Big Zero that's big. So, it, but not big. It's just modern sized. Um, so this is how it works. Okay. So we've got day and then date, just like normal little cutout. Um, and then we've got center seconds, regular baton hands. Um, the dials came in a few different colors, but mine personally is white, which I think looks best. So, oh, so you have this watch. I have it. Okay. So at the top and bottom of this watch, there's like little cutouts. Okay. And on the bottom, it's got the years and on the top, it's got the months. And then it's got a, like, uh, basically like an internal rotating bezel um, crown that is at four. And when you rotate that, you can change the way that the years are being displayed at the bottom and the months at the top. Okay. Now you'll notice that there's actually, on the top half of the watch, underneath its cutout, it's got all the days. 1 to 31. Yes, okay? I see that, yeah. And they're in columns. And then at the bottom of the watch, it's got the months in columns. Yes. And this thing is basically, it's not a perpetual calendar, it's basically like, sort of like a slide ruley way of figuring out everything. Uh... So you take the year, okay, and then you line it up with the month. Okay, so the month is at the bottom. Uh... So once you've done that, then... The month at the top will line up with the columns of the days. On oh, the interesting. So you can kind of like calculate. So you can say like on this leap year, on this, uh, you know, yeah. month, what day will match up with the day of the week? Whatever. So, so, so as it changes months, the, 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 the wheel on the bottom is going to move the year to the correct month? Yeah, the months and the days move simultaneously, and I actually okay. said that wrong. So you've got the months and the days, and the you've got the months and the years at the bottom, and then the thing along the top that moves is the day. Oh, the day. And okay, then, okay. Sorry, not the month, and then the numbers at the bottom. Now this is very complex, probably worth just looking at. <laughs> yeah, if but... I own this watch, I would just set the time and be done with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's. But it's a really funny design. They were basically like, man, perpetual calendars are complex. How can we, like, yeah. sort of make one? It's like the pen-pencil thing again. <laughs> it is. Uh, so this is a pretty darn fun one. I just serviced mine, and it's working great. That was another watch. That was the other watch that came to me and, like, was sort of not working. Um, but the perpetual calendar, the guy that sold it was just, like, he was in Armenia, actually, which is uh, one of the kind of like satellite states. And um, he shipped it and he just said, like, kind of working. He didn't say, like, oh, Watchmaker worked on this or whatever. So I didn't take too much offense. <laughs> but this is a pretty darn cool watch. I'm a big fan of the Raketa Perpetual Calendar. Um, and it's actually kind of funny because the dates run out, you know. Yeah. So the furthest it goes, if I'm remembering correctly, is 2012, and then that ends. Wow. But it doesn't really matter because it you can just set it to the year that is the same as your current year in the leap year cycle. Right. You know, the actual number of the year is meaningless. You just need to know where in the leap year cycle you are. Right, right. 
So that's cool. It's definitely a unique one. <laughs> so those are all my suggestions for Raketa watches to collect. I'll just say them quick. The Big Zero, the Copernicus, the Atom, the Raketa 24 Hours uh, slash Antarctica, the World Time and the Perpetual Calendar. Now, if you want to know which ones will be the hardest to uh, actually get in good condition, number one hardest, the Atom. And it's not close. Wow, okay. Um, and then from there, it's like the 24 hours and the big zero. Oh, I, I would have thought the Antarctica one would be. Well, I'm 24 hours slash Antarctica. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, those are in the same like category. So, so which one is your favorite of all those? Well, I think my the three that I own that yeah. are my favorites are the big zero my very unique copernicus and uh the perpetual calendar okay um and if i had to put one all the way on the top it might be the perpetual calendar then big zero then copernicus okay um but if i own the atom that might be on the top <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard to find though yeah i, I I did search for it for a while, but I've just given up. I haven't checked eBay for the Atom in a long time, so somebody might have put up a, a, a Raketa Atom in the meantime. Yeah, I'd say the Atom and the 24-hour Antarctica are my favorites. Yeah, and the amazing thing is how like cool these watches are. Like, you know, we got some good reactions out of you on some of the pictures, and you could pick up almost any of them for under a hundred pretty much that's you know? crazy yeah that's like budget collecting right there you can have it like really all is. of them yeah just gotta be patient and to see when they come out yeah i just went crazy when i first uh found this market and i just filled a watch box with literally filled an entire watch box with russian watches <laughs> 12 russian watches but um i've been reselling uh, i've been reselling them and trimming it way down yeah so are you making money? I'm. I, you probably could if you service them. Um, the ones that I've resold, I didn't bother servicing. Okay. Because they were like low enough on my how much I liked them that I right. just passed them on. Yeah. Um, now I'm servicing some of the ones that I still have left. I've actually got a regular Copernicus as well with a black dial, and that one I might sell at some point. So yeah, I I feel like. We've talked about Raketa a good amount. <laughs> yeah. This is more like the Raketa podcast. It is. Uh, and what I'd say is, is this website, which I will, once again, I'll post. If you're interested at all, you should definitely look at this website um, to find reference pictures. Um, it, but I would say about all this is there's tons of missing data. Okay. So yeah. lots of the stuff about the watches, you might never really know as a collector right like what year was it made i don't know there's serial numbers on the back of all of the watches and on the case backs and nobody knows what they even mean that's crazy someone's <laughs> got to know what they mean someone put them there because they made like they made like four million a year at their height right but most of my case back numbers have only three digits yeah but but there's got to be a system. I mean, someone's... Why even stamp it then? I have no idea. <laughs> to my knowledge, nobody knows what the numbers mean, <laughs> which is pretty surprising. So 
You know, I had a this was a really good suggestion from a listener. Really happy that you guys uh, contacted yeah. us. He gave us some other ideas, which I think we'll be covering some of the other ones too. Um, if you want to contact us, that's great. Um, now, I'm just gonna do a pitch here. Okay, <laughs> you're at the end of the podcast. There's something um, in psychology which is like the concept of dispersal of responsibility. Okay. Yeah. This is where you say in a crowd, someone call 911. And literally nobody calls 911 <laughs> cuz everyone assumes someone else is going to call 911. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I've I've heard this before. Yeah. And that this is a really common thing, you know, someone gets uh, assaulted on a subway and everyone just stands there watching cuz like everyone's like, "Oh, somebody else will step in." Well, you know the, yeah, saying? the 911 part, I heard you're supposed to say, you, call 911, like that. And exactly. Point to exactly. Or, like, if you're doing CPR, mm-hmm. and you want to start with someone, and you're like, you call 911. Yeah. <laughs> you come over here, you're going to do chest compressions. I'll do, you know, this. You do the counting, you know, whatever. Um, but in emergency situations, people aren't thinking. They just do what they see in a movie, and every movie's like, someone call 911. exactly exactly so here i am about to say on the podcast someone call 911 this is what we're asking you to do not literally okay but i am speaking directly to you no dispersal responsibility you are my only listener in this moment okay (laughs) and uh our version of 911 is just asking you to rate us on itunes (laughs) please Right as on iTunes, we ask nothing of you. Uh, you know, we're not asking for money on Patreon <laughs> or any of that nonsense. We're just doing it for fun. We don't even have Patreon. Yeah, we don't even have one. <laughs> uh, you know, we're just doing it for fun. We would love for you to uh, to review us on iTunes. Um, a lot of the uh, players and stuff, they can you know, decide how much they suggest somebody or put them in the search results based on, on your iTunes reviews, even if they're not searching through iTunes, you know, the other the other places rank using. Yeah. And then the other thing is, if we're asking for, like, guests or something, you know, having a decent ranking is yeah. probably probably a good idea. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and, I, and iTunes is probably one of the more, like, Apple's famous, like, they're, like, the big platform, so... Yeah, yeah. So, if you could review us, guys, please, please, that would it. be absolutely amazing. It's the only thing that we ask of you. Um, and then, of course, uh, we're very um, contactable. The main way that I've found people contacting me has been uh, through Instagram. Uh, so, if you're if you're on Instagram, you find us Crystal Clear Watchmaking. You can just send us a message. It's crazy. We'll just talk to you directly. <laughs> It's amazing how that technology works. Yeah, so if, if you have an idea or something, I mean, it could definitely happen. Let's make it happen. But yeah, definitely contact us. Please do the iTunes review. That would be so awesome. Because, um, you know, Jay messed it up for us. He <laughs> liked a tutor. Can you okay, believe but, but that like, you liked it? <laughs> but is that worthy of a bad review? I mean, come on. I thought that was shocking. The guy gave us a bad review because you were like, if I had infinite money, I'd buy a tutor. <laughs> it's like, there's nothing wrong with that. If yeah, you I love mean, the tutor, it's fine. 
Like, if I had infinite money and I bought a Raketa Atom, I have a feeling some people would be like, mm, that's a, that's a yeah. very uh, fancy choice, actually. Very knowledgeable. Yeah. Very proud of you. You know, even though it'd be like a couple hundred bucks. <laughs> because they just assume you're going to have something expensive, so. Yeah. Either expensive or insanely esoteric, like the, uh, the Atom. Yeah. But, yeah. If you guys could, if you guys could help us out, we would love it. Um, you should, as long as you have, um, like an iPhone, you have <laughs> the account made that allows you to review stuff on iTunes. Yeah. If you have, if you have the, if you have the, any Apple account, you should be good to like Mac or yeah. iPhone. So if you own an iPad. Yeah. Well, well, well actually like we should, should stop calling iTunes because actually the, the iTunes is no more. Even Apple disbanded iTunes. They put it into different apps. So there's like. The music app, the podcast app. Right, it's Apple Podcasts. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But weirdly, when you apply to put your podcast uh, to them, yeah. you still do it through their old iTunes stuff. So that's why I still think about it that it's way. Typical Apple. Yeah, so so yeah. I'm done with the pitch. Please <laughs> review us. I'm talking to you directly. Nobody else will do it. It's up to you. Pitch over. All right pitch over all right is there anything else you'd like to say to the people uh just everybody stay safe and practice social distancing you know listen to the news it's just crazy time right now yeah absolutely all right well we'll see you next week we'll continue to discuss gears springs oils watches brands all things watches and watchmaking <laughs>